It's interesting, I think, the timing that we are going to be talking about the topic that we're going to be talking about today, given what has been happening lately in our personal lives, in the public square, and in social media. The topic today will be disagreements and divisions. As the shelter-in-place order in our community has gone on for weeks and weeks, people's patience has begun to wear thin. People are losing patience with the never-ending presence of their housemates and the constant hand-washing and the shopping cart wipe-downs and the six-feet separation rules and the face masks and the virus news reports and the continually changing wisdom about how to keep ourselves safe and the droning from store speakers about social distancing and everyone telling us that they're here for us in these unprecedented times. If I hear the word unprecedented one more time, I'm going to blow a gasket just right here. And it goes on and on. Cabin fever is starting to take hold of people. Fear and anxiety is starting to give way to anger. People are tired of being cooped up like a bunch of livestock animals. Stories have begun to multiply quickly in recent days about this pandemic being some kind of conspiracy by those in power trying to accomplish some kind of nefarious evil things against the rest of us. All of this together has created a very rich environment for disagreements, arguments, fights, divisions among people. How are we to respond to all of this as followers of Jesus Christ? The easy thing to do is to walk the same path as everyone else around us, letting fear and anger direct our steps. But that's not the way Jesus Christ wants us to behave. Instead, He wants us, I would suggest, to follow what is said in 1 Peter 4.8 and in Proverbs 3.5 and 6. 1 Peter 4.8, it says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Love for each other is what we need to keep smoothing the ruffled feathers. Proverbs 3.5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to Him and He will make your path straight. See, I don't know all of the answers to all of the questions that are swirling around right now. I don't know who I can trust of all the people claiming to know the truth and claiming that I should trust them. But there is one that I know I can trust. There is one who really knows what's going on. There is one who is truly looking out for my best interests. Let's work more at trusting Him and hearing his voice rather than all of this other chatter around us. Today, in our Bible study, we're going to meet a couple of people who were caught up in a bitter disagreement with each other that was so bad it was threatening the unity within the church. Paul has addressed the topic of unity in the church several times in this letter to the Philippians, both directly and indirectly. For example, in Philippians 1.27, Paul, he encouraged the believers in Philippi to stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. 
In Philippians 2.1, Paul tells the Philippian Christians that if they really want to encourage him and make his joy complete, then be unified with each other. Be of the same mind. Have the same love. Be in full accord with each other. Be of the same spirit. In Philippians 2.3, Paul tells us to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but instead value others above ourselves, looking to the interests of others over our own. And then in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, Paul, he presents Jesus as the ultimate example of someone who put the interests of others above his own, emptying himself of his power and privilege as God, becoming a human being, born into poverty, suffering a cruel and disgraceful death by crucifixion. He did all of that for us to reconcile us to God. Well, up until this point in the letter, Paul has talked about unity in general terms. Now Paul's going to get very particular and specific, actually calling out a couple of people in the church at Philippi who are at odds with each other, pleading with them to reconcile. It's as if Paul has been laying the groundwork throughout the letter up to this point in preparation for this confrontation that now takes place. So in Philippians chapter 4, Verse 2, he writes, I plead with you, Yodia, and I plead with you, Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. We're introduced to these two women Yodia and Syntyche. And we know very little about either of these ladies other than that what we can glean in this passage. This is the only place in the Bible that they are mentioned. These two people were in a dispute with each other. We're not told what the dispute was about. It doesn't appear that this dispute has to do with doctrine or theology. If it had been, Paul would have probably set them straight, and he doesn't do that. Erroneous doctrine was something that Paul had no tolerance for in the church. He was always very quick to address those kinds of issues. Whatever this disagreement was about, it was significant enough to be a threat to the unity of the church and hindering the church's effectiveness in the community. People may have been feeling obligated to take sides because of the influence of these two women in the church. You know how this kind of thing goes. Your friend gets caught up in a dispute with someone else and you find yourself feeling pressured, obligated to stand with them, to support them, to get in the fight with them. Even though you may not have anything personally at stake or even have any strong feelings about the matter being disputed. But you care for your friend. You feel like you need to stand with them no matter what the issue is. Well, in a situation like this, it's better for us to remain neutral rather than choosing sides. We have an obligation not only to our friend, but to the whole church and to Jesus Christ. We should work at helping reconciliation to come about rather than jumping into the fight on one side or the other. By choosing sides, we're helping to make things worse, tearing the body of Christ apart. There are three things that we can surmise from this passage very quickly before moving 
further into it. First, these two women, they held prominent positions in the church at Philippi with significant enough influence that Paul, he feels it necessary to call them out in this very public way in his letter for the good of the whole church. Second, they both have worked alongside Paul in the ministry in the past. Paul knows these two women personally. They are friends of his. It must have been difficult for Paul to have to call these two out in his letter like this. It's not easy to confront someone about stuff that needs to be changed. It must have been even harder, though, for these two women to be called out like this in front of the whole church in this letter. I mean, I can't imagine the embarrassment that they must have felt. I know I just would have been horrified if my name had shown up in the letter like this. It's good to remember when we are on the receiving end of being confronted about stuff that we need to change. Proverbs 27.6, where it says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Paul, we know that he's doing this in love. He loves these two people very much, and he desires that this dispute be dealt with before any more damage be done either to them or to the church. The third thing we can see here is both of these women are dedicated followers of Jesus Christ. It says their names are written in the book of life. There's no imposters or pretenders here. They both love the Lord. Sometimes even the best of us can let our temper flare and let our pride cause us to dig in our heels when we ought to just let it go. These two women are probably some of the more mature and committed people in the Philippian church. But we all have clay feet. We all live in glass houses. We all have moments of awfulness. And here is theirs in front of all of us to learn a lesson from. Paul says, I plead with you. I urge you. I beseech you. I implore. Paul is making this strong, impassioned plea for these two people to reconcile. It's interesting to note that Paul repeats his phrasing here. I plead with you, Yodia, and I plead with you, Syntyche. I think he does that on purpose to indicate that he's not taking sides in this, in this dispute. He's not suggesting that either of them is more right than the other. He's pleading with both of them equally to reconcile, to not let this disagreement between them go any further for the good of everyone. Romans 8 or Romans 12:18 says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. We have a responsibility to seek reconciliation with others, no matter what. As a follower of Jesus, we're not allowed to hold grudges and have long-standing feuds with others. I've heard Christians sometimes say, "Well, I'm not going to speak with that person until they apologize." Or something like, I forgave them before, not anymore, that's the last time. We can't do that. We have to forgive. We have no alternative. God has forgiven us again and again. We are expected to follow His example and do the same. Do you remember what it says in the model prayer that Jesus gave us? Matthew 6.12 And Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. 
Do you remember what Jesus told Peter when Peter asked Jesus how many times he had to forgive someone who wronged him? Peter, thinking he was being very generous, offered to forgive a person up to seven times. But Jesus told him to forgive 70 times seven times, which was a proverbial way of saying that there's to be no limit to the number of times we are to forgive people. Forgiving someone who's wronged us is not easy. It can be one of the most difficult things we are ever asked to do. But you know, just because something is hard is not a reason to not do it. Maybe you remember that famous quote by Alexander Pope, to err is human, to forgive divine. In other words, making mistakes is a very human thing. We all make mistakes. When we forgive, though, we're acting like God. Withholding forgiveness is unjustified in God's eyes no matter how we want to slice it. Paul says, I plead with you to be the same to be of the same mind in the Lord. He entreats them to be in harmony with one another, to agree, to find common ground, to come to a shared way of thinking. The phrase here in the Lord be of the same mind in the Lord. It means to make Jesus Christ the motivation and the reason for reconciling with each other. When we determine to make the Lord the most important thing between us, then we're able to put whatever other stuff there is in the background. We, we may still be in disagreement. The issue may not magically vanish, but we are able to put it into perspective, lower its importance, make it a secondary thing. And when we do that, then we're able to work the problem. We're able to have a sane, rational discussion. We're able to see all of the sides of the issue rather than just our own. We may in the end have to agree to disagree on the issue, but even being able to agree to disagree lowers the issue to a secondary level. We are remaining unified in Christ, even though we disagree on this other issue. It's interesting, I've found it in my own life to be true that if I will demote the issue to secondary importance, it will often cease to be an issue at all. It's, it's not always the case, but often it simply ceases to exist as an issue at all for me. My mind lets it go and move on to other things. I'll be convinced in my mind that it has to be a certain way I'm fighting tooth and nail for it to be so. I've got my heels dug in, but then I will intentionally, deliberately move it lower in importance than the Lord and His larger agenda. And this thing that was so important to me before becomes unimportant and I'm able to just let it go. In verse 3, he says, Yes, I ask you, true companion, help these women. Paul's asking this third person to involve himself in helping these two reconcile with one another. Now, Bible scholars are divided about whether this is the actual name 
of this third person or a description of this person's role. See, the word translated companion is a translation of the Greek word syzygous. This may be this person's name, which means companion, yoke fellow, partner. Or this could be the role that Paul wants this person to carry out for these two women. Be their true companion, their partner, walking with them through this disagreement. Well, either way works and has the same meaning in the end for us. I like the name Syzygous. I think it sounds like something out of a Harry Potter book. Someone very wise and trustworthy. Syzygous. I mean, I can see, you know, someone sporting a really cool hat, and a big long beard maybe or something. So Paul, he's asking this other person, who we will call Syzygous, to get involved in this dispute between these two and help them reconcile. The impression we get from the text is that these two women have been in this dispute for quite some time. But, but things have gone on for too long. Any effort that may have been made to reconcile, it's stalled out. Neither of them is budging from their position. Things have grown increasingly contentious. Paul hears about what's happening in the church, and he says, hey, hey that's not the way we behave in the family of God. That, that may be an acceptable way to act in the secular world, but that's not the way Jesus' people act. We don't hang on to grudges between us. We don't let our disagreements within one another divide us or harm the unity of our church family. That's not the way we behave and conduct our lives. Paul challenges Syzygus to quit minding his own business here and make this conflict his business. He tells him to help these women work through this disagreement so peace can be restored. There are certainly times when we should mind our own business and let people work out their differences on their own. We don't want to be meddlers and busybodies. There are times, though, when a conflict has gone on for too long, no progress has been made to reconcile, the conflict is affecting others, and we ourselves are in some kind of a position of responsibility, and we need to step into the situation and help bring reconciliation. We need to be very cautious and careful about when we do that, though. Proverbs 26:17 says, Like one who grabs a stray dog by the ears, is someone who rushes into a quarrel, not their own. In other words, sticking our nose into the quarrel of others is a surefire way of getting bit. Sometimes we can be so tangled up in conflict with each other that a third party can be a huge help. A husband and wife, for example, can get so tangled up in their conflict with each other that they can't see clear enough to make any progress. They, they're not vulnerable enough. They don't trust each other enough to find any kind of resolution in their conflict. And a skilled counselor can be a huge help. Most of the time, a counselor offers insight and advice that would be otherwise, otherwise obvious to us, but we're so knotted up that we can't see what's Obvious otherwise. If you're stuck in conflict with someone else, whether it's a spouse or a friend or, you know, I don't know what, and, and it doesn't seem like you can make any progress toward reconciliation, 
Seek out that third party, a counselor, a syzygous, to help you. He writes about these ladies, they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. And we noted this earlier, but here again, here are a couple of people who are sincere followers of Jesus Christ. They have worked side by side in the ministry with Paul himself in the past. But they have gotten themselves in a bitter conflict with each other. See, conflict happens. We don't always have control over that. What's important and what we do have control over is how we handle the conflicts when they come in, come up, and work through them. He says, whose names are written in the book of life. And again, we noted this earlier, but these women who are in a dispute with one another, they're among those who have their names written in the book of life. They're believers. They're followers of Jesus. They're Christians. And two things here. First, these women are true believers, true followers of Jesus, which we've already noted before. So those of you who have gotten yourself in a conflict, maybe you're in one right now, and you consider yourself a Christian, a follower of Jesus, I want you to be encouraged. Like you see here, this is actually something that's possible for a Christian. You can be in a conflict. It happens to all of us. But the second thing is, the book of life includes the names of people who are still working through stuff in their lives. Being perfect is not what gets your name written in the book of life. Believing and following Jesus Christ gets your name written in the book of life. We've talked about this many times before. We'll talk about it again many times in the future about how a person is saved. It's not a merit system. It's a grace system. And seeing these two here helps illustrate that truth once more for us. Well, we're going to study verses 4 through 9 in more detail next time, but I want to pull out a few ideas from them today which we can use in dealing with conflict and maintaining unity among us. Really, just kind of apply and focus on that particular uh, use of these verses. So in verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. If you are rejoicing in the Lord, it means that your focus is on Him rather than nitpicking other people. Think about things about each other can't, could, that could really annoy us otherwise. They shrink in significance when we are rejoicing in the Lord. Remember, joy is not a response to the quality of our circumstances. It's a byproduct of being in fellowship with Jesus Christ and making Him the center of our life. So when you find yourselves growing increasingly annoyed with others, lean harder into the Lord. Put your eyes on Him rather than on them. Remind yourself of what you have in Jesus Christ. Let's rejoice in the Lord. Verse 5, he says, Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. That word translated gentleness, it means to be gentle, gracious, considerate, forbearing. These kind of characteristics create unity and dispel disputes. Be known for your gentleness, your graciousness, your considerate attitude toward others. 6. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Rather than being anxious about things, wondering what the other person is thinking, what their motive might be for why they did or said what they did, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Give it to Him. Trust Him with it. Let the Lord be our advocate rather than ourself. It says, with thanksgiving, put our focus on the good that we have rather than on what we don't have. Verse 7, it says here, And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Peaceful people create peace around them. Prayer produces peace in us. Peace in us produces peace with others rather than conflict. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think the best of others. Assume the best of them. Don't let our thoughts go in the direction of assuming that the other person is out to get us. Many conflicts can be avoided by simply not assuming that what the other person did or said was intended to hurt us, that their motive toward us is for evil rather than good. We need to train ourselves to think, to give the other person the benefit of the doubt, to think the best of them, to assume that they are good-willed toward us. Verse 9 says, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So he says, you know, let's put into practice the things that we're taught in the Scriptures and imitate those who imitate Jesus. We're given a promise here that the God of peace will be with us. So in closing today, do you need to make peace with someone? Do you need to be reconciled with someone? Do you need to let go of a conflict that you have with someone? I want to encourage you to not put it off. Seek to reconcile with them, especially if it's a brother or sister in the Lord. If the conflict has become too tangled so that you aren't able to make any progress in reconciliation, then seek out a syzygous to help you. Matthew 5.9, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Those who create peace, establish peace, work for peace, generate peace, they're children of God. They behave like God. They walk in the footsteps of God. They share the character of God. So I leave you with Romans 14, 19. Therefore, let's make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Good words for us to live by, especially in this moment that we're living in. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we thank you for your word and your reminder today for us to seek peace with one another, to be reconciled with those that we have uh, differences and divisions and quarrels with, Lord. Give us hearts of love, Lord, and, and hearts that want to walk in obedience to you, Lord, and to 
reach across and to seek reconciliation with others, Lord. Bind our hearts together in unity in Christ. And may he be glorified in our fellowship with one another. In Jesus' name, amen.